In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in these words, we learn what kind of person Jesus is. We learn of his pastoral heart and how genuinely he desires to save each and every human being. Indeed, we can see in these words the utter simplicity of the Easter reality, that Jesus, through his death, destroyed the power of sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus, through his resurrection, is raised to be the shepherd and bishop of our souls, to shepherd and pastor us on our way to our heavenly home. It's just that simple. Hidden underneath the English is an important Greek construction at least when it's in the mouth of Jesus. He doesn't simply say, I am the good shepherd, but he says, ego, I, me. A more wooden translation would be, I am, I am the good shepherd. In other words, we can begin to trace our Lord's words backwards. We can do so through the Old Testament reading where Ezekiel prophesies of a shepherd who will finally do what no human shepherd has been able to do, who will gather in all the lost sheep. Jesus says, I am that shepherd. We recall Psalm 23 where David, a shepherd himself, says, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says, I am that shepherd. With those words, ego, I, me, we trace trace them all the way back to the burning bush where when Moses asked God what his name was, the answer was precisely those words, ego, I, me, I am, I am. In other words, at the very core, the very heart of the identity of God is this good shepherd who desires to seek and save the lost, even if that means his own death, in order to protect the flock from the wolf. That's worth noting, too, because we might get the wrong impression, as if Jesus is the good shepherd because he sees the wolf coming, and so he just lays down and allows himself to die. But what good would that do if the wolf devours the shepherd today What's he going to eat tomorrow? That's not the point at all. The point is that the only way to protect the sheep from this wolf is to destroy the wolf. The only way to destroy this wolf is by laying down his life. That by becoming sin for us, he would destroy sin. That by dying, he would bring death to death. And that, in so doing, he would undo all the work of the devil. And thus he interposes himself between us and the wolf, and he lays down his life to destroy the wolf, that the wolf can harm us no longer. 
This is written so deeply into creation, this reality that the Lord is our shepherd, that it permeates all other vocations. God would have children shepherd each other. He gives mothers to shepherd their children. He gives fathers to shepherd their wives and their children. He gives rulers to shepherd their people. He gives pastors to shepherd God's flock. And so what we learn is not only who Jesus is, but who our creator is and how he calls us to live as those recreated into his image through Christ Jesus. That we would learn to love in precisely that way he loves. To love unto the death. To love in such a way that you are willing to do for another whatever it takes. Now this is at the very heart and core of what it means to be a human being. And it's where lovelessness and all the lovelessness we see in the world right now is subhuman. And there's something particularly masculine in this quality to lay down one's life for the sake of those who are under your care. That too is written into creation. So when we see Christ the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, It is indeed a tender and beautiful image, but a powerful, strong image. And we as men, specifically, and as human beings more broadly, are called to emulate this tenderness and this strength. One of the great church fathers of the fourth century John Chrysostom, named so because it means golden-mouthed or golden-tongued. He was largely recognized to be the greatest pastor and preacher, uh, excuse me, preacher would be a better way to put it, in in Christendom. And he says that here in Jesus' teaching, there are actually two kinds of plunderers. There's the wolf, that's the obvious plunderer who sneaks in to devour and scatter But the second plunderer is the man who does nothing about it. That's the hireling to which Jesus points. The hireling who sees the wolf and does nothing about it but flees to save his own skin, that man is every bit as much a plunderer himself. So when we flee from our vocational duties, when we don't do the hard work, when we don't lay down our lives, when we don't say the uncomfortable word, we then see in ourselves the hireling. And conversely, when we see those in our lives willing to do those things, when times get tough, they stick with us. And they speak the truth to us, even if that's a truth we don't want to hear. They say and do those things that are necessary. Fulfilling the law of love, not in some squishy, touchy-feely sort of way, but in a sense of duty and what is right and what is ultimately good. Then we can reflect 
in their continuity with the Good Shepherd. In the same way we can reflect on the ways in which we ourselves have fallen short of the glory of that Good Shepherd in our own shepherding. We as Christians need have no fear, no reservation about admitting and acknowledging our sins and where we've fallen short in life. There's nothing embarrassing about making that confession to Christ. We don't need to plead the fifth. When we come before God, it's not like a job interview where they inevitably ask you, what's your greatest weakness? You say something like, well, I suppose it's that I'm an overachiever bit of a workaholic and, you know, perfectionist when it comes to my own stuff. We don't need to play those games with the Lord. We can simply come before him on account of those words that he speaks where he says, I know my own and my own know me. When he says, I know my own, that means he already knows what's there all the way down in the depths. He already knows the thoughts, the words, and the deeds In fact, he already knows things that you yourself don't know, that you don't even recognize as sin within yourself. He's like, oh boy, that's the big one. (laughs) He knows his own, but we also know him. And we know that he is precisely the Savior who lays down his life for sinners and sinners only. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the faithful one who lays down his life for the faithless, the righteous one who sits not in self-righteous condemnation or even just righteous condemnation, but the righteous one who lays down his life for the unrighteous. And he does it freely and lovingly because that is who he is. That is at the essence and heart of God. That's the misericordious domini, this almost untranslatable, the loving kindness, the merciful heartedness of our Savior, that we need not fear complete honesty and openness with him, knowing that he has laid down his life for us and he will surely absolve us and forgive us all our sins. It's this good shepherd heart that Christ pours out into us Not simply so that it would stop there. That's Peter's point in our epistle. But that we would likewise be imitators of Christ. That merciful hearted love is poured out into our hearts, under overflowing that we would love one another as he loves us. That in whatever vocations, callings to which he has called us, as he shepherds us, so would we shepherd those around us. If we love Christ, we'll want to be exactly like Christ. That is good. That is wholesome. And it is a beautiful way to live. It is a way of tenderness and a way of strength. And it is precisely the way in which God tramples Satan under our feet as well. So this Easter Sunday, we rejoice in the simplicity and the beauty and wonder of our Good Shepherd 
and his love for us. We sing with full hearts, perverse and foolish, oft I've strayed, and yet in love he sought me, and on my shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.